Welcome to episode number 77, What is Real? The Trial of Testimony. Today's episode is going to cover the idea of reality, how we construct it, and how it is altered by several factors, including mental illness. The concepts I will talk about today can really be applied to anyone, not just those of us who suffer. While I will certainly talk about mental illness and our perception of reality, the podcast could really be sent to almost anyone. And I do encourage you to send it along. And now on to today's episode. Now this week I was listening to one of my more favorite podcasts called Hidden Brain. As much as we do know about the brain and its processes, there is really still much to be learned about how the gray matter really does its job. I've said this before, it is unlikely that we're going to know truly how the brain works until we understand how our spirit brain works within the confines of the physical brain. Now the discussion in this particular episode revolved around the idea that the brain creates or perhaps needs useful illusions in our lives. Meaning in essence, the brain accepts certain illusion, illusional realities and uses them to our advantage. Now, I think the point may have been that in many cases, we don't want the reality, we want the fiction. Now he used an example of customer service. We expect that someone serving us from the customer servant agent on the phone to the fast food server to be courteous, helpful, friendly, even when that may not be how they are personally or even how they feel. We as the customer expect a certain personality and happiness from them and friendliness. We expect this illusion and even get upset when someone might show their true self to us. And he went on to explain that we expect these types of illusions everywhere in our society and even in our close personal relationships. We expect people to act, speak and think in a certain way, even when that may not be their reality. Now that caused me to ponder a couple of questions. What of our lives is real, given these illusions? And if we expect these illusions, or delusions, however you see it, what is reality in the sense of our brains? And most of us love very young children who are just learning about this world. They're open, they're honest, they seem to lack a filter that we've all learned to use to some extent. They They often say things that make us laugh and smile because they are so honest about life and questioning. They have yet to understand how the useful useful illusions we have in society and culture, and we accept that in time they will. However, their honest assessments seem to amuse us. Comedians fully understand these useful illusions that we have, and we find great joy in the comedian's ability to reveal those to us. Of course, in a place where we deem it acceptable. Now, the further you look into the useful illusions we expect every day of our lives, the more you will find that we have created a whole social construct around them, and that for the most part, we are required to use them or face the social punishment or ostracization as it might be determined by that society. So all of this talk of illusions and reality then got me to thinking about reality and what makes something real or true. We seem to spend countless hours of time searching for truth And it really hasn't gotten easier with the abundant information proliferating on the internet. In point of fact, truth is more often rare than common in the online social community. We as a human race expect our illusions and our cultural and social norms. But in some ways, we desire to know what is real and what is not. Now, I don't think you have to look very far to see that we possess a true desire to know what is real. What is an illusion and how things really work, even though we desire to have those illusions. There are endless media outlets reporting all types of scientific discoveries and observations, and 
actually quite popular sites. I even think that our reality shows, which tend not to be very real at all, give us a glimpse of human, human behavior that we might not always see in our useful illusions, and I think that engages us. Now, don't get me wrong, reality is, I say, rarely pretty, neat, and easy to accept. And so, we do spend a great deal of time within our illusions, and even creating them through alternate personas on the internet, through social media, through watching movies and programs that allow us to escape our harsh reality. However, in the end, while we enjoy these illusions and the limited happiness we actually find in them, reality is where we live and where real happiness is found. The problem is finding what is real and what is not in a world full of information and illusions. Now, there's a saying that I'm sure you have probably heard. Perception is reality. Well, actually, perception is your reality. As much as we would like to say that reality is a, a constant and we are all perceiving it in the same way, the truth is, is that reality or the reality we see is a construct of our own minds. We construct reality every second, minute, hour of every day through our mind. Now, constructing reality is a complex process in the mind. And because we only have that one very good processor, reality has to take some shortcuts, at least from our sensory point of view. The mind, the, the mind takes into the brain enormous amounts of sensory data from the skin, the body, the eyes, nose, ears, and even our emotional context and constructs all of it into, this, into a complex whole and then creates the world or the reality we live in, or better said, our own personal reality. Obviously, the brain takes some shortcuts. Okay, the brain takes many shortcuts when it creates our reality. Otherwise, the rest of our body would have to shut down just to create our reality. Now, I've talked previous, previously in other podcasts about how the brain creates pattern processes, or what we might call routines or habits that don't run through the brain's processor any longer. These shortcuts that I've talked about previously. And these predetermined processes fill in the gaps of information without us consciously adding to it or thinking about it. These patterns are well-known processes to our brain and that they have been used countless times without any issues in the brain. Now, the problem is it does create all kinds of trouble for us in that it can cause errors. When we use a known pattern in the brain without processing it and the brain's assumption turns out to be incorrect, all sorts of strangeness and awkwardness ensues. Now, while I could go through many examples of this, what is important about reality is that we believe it to be real and our mind views it as very real. Now, one only need to go to a hypnosis act at the local county fair to look at it on YouTube to see how powerful the brain is in creating realities. Hypnosis uses this reality construct to cause people to believe something is real. That is not. And, of course, normally for humor, although it can be used for other types of things far more useful, such as weight loss and quitting smoking, although I think that it's still a little controversial. Now, we have a tendency as human beings to rely upon our senses, and especially our visual sense, to help us construct our reality. Now, we trust our senses, and that's because we need to be able to trust them. If we could not trust our senses, life in this world would be a very serious problem. We experience life through those senses, and so over time we come to rely on them to make sense of the world outside of our body and to construct our personal reality on the inside. 
And we take in surprising amounts of information from our senses. And it's filtered down to what is needed for the brain to construct the reality. Most of what we take in is simply not used. It's filtered. Just small, certain portions of the information so that the brain can continuously update the reality. Now, to illustrate this, you had probably seen one of those videos where you are asked to count how many times the basketball is passed between individuals. And as you watch the video, your brain filters out a significant amount of events that occur that you probably should have seen and recognized. Now, upon watching this particular video, most people filter out that one person passing the ball actually leaves the scene. A gorilla comes through the curtain right in the middle and behind the scene. Someone walks through the middle of the people passing the ball and several colors change. Now, the purpose of the video is to show you that the brain uses limited information and just plain filters the rest of it when it's trying to accomplish a task and create your reality. In some ways, it is a little scary to consider just how much our brain can and does filter out of our reality. Now, what is most important about reality is that it is entirely dependent upon inputs, filters, and the brain's ability to interpret all of the information and construct our personal reality. There is something very, very important about constructing reality that is really often overlooked, but critical to the construction of that personal reality. That is our emotional state, meaning the emotional mental state of the mind while the reality is being constructed seriously affects what we believe to be true or real. So our mood, emotional state, and that body chemistry that's, that's created by that mood alters what we perceive. Now, as much as we would like to think that we rely entirely upon facts, it just isn't true. For instance, let's take the example, relatively easy example, of falling in love with someone. Have you ever noticed how many things that the brain ignores when someone is, quote, in love? I'm sure that you as parents or as a friend or even personally have seen this rose-colored glasses effect when that person falls in love, especially when that person they fall in love with is not a good match or of the highest moral character, let's say. When someone is in love, they construct a reality based not just on facts, but on the emotional, we'll call it a love drug running through their system that the body creates, meaning that this emotion of falling in love causes reality to be altered significantly. We can ignore openly problematic facts about a person, from grooming to moral standards. We can hope for change where there exists no evidence that change is going to occur. We can trust even when trust has been broken and facts clearly lead to the idea that trust is going to be broken again. Now, anyone who has ever experienced love, this love, knows just how altered our reality can become when it comes to things such as love and other similar or antithetical emotions, such as hate or apathy. While we tend to think that we are factually based people, we are not in any form of that. We are emotional people evaluating factual information. Now we come to really the reality of the gospel. Now I have discussed the brain's ability to limit information and that the information is altered by emotional filters. But what I have yet to discuss is the final piece of the brain's trio of reality, the brain's connection to the spirit. While we certainly do not know the particulars about how it works, somewhere in that gray matter, the physical and spiritual are inseparably linked together, and a whole set of previously experienced realities are available to the mind. Those things we learned before this world that were to prepare us for life 
exist within the confines of the spiritual mind and can be accessed and used in the physical mind. And we call this process inspiration or revelation or even the light of Christ. It is interesting that we use the word revelation, meaning that the information is revealed in our minds, not necessarily added to it. Now, with this premortal learning and information comes a set of feelings, often deep feelings and emotions, which were part of our previous learning. So adding to our complex personal vision of reality through our sensory inputs and our emotional state is this set of spiritual realities that we know and can access through both the light of Christ and through the Holy Ghost. This is why we feel something to be true, even though we do not see it physically. We already know it's true. We have seen it and learned of its truth previously. And when we feel those things, we are remembering those feelings and knowledge we previously had. Understand that you already have a strong testimony of the Savior, the Father, the plan of salvation, and every other spiritual principle and doctrine. You've already walked with the Savior, been taught by heavenly parents on a regular basis, and have learned principles and doctrines far beyond what you understand currently. A testimony is not given in the sense that you are learning new information. It is revealed to you as you had previously learned it through countless experiences. A true solid testimony of the Savior, His mission, the Father, and everything we learn already exists in the spiritual part of your brain. True, somewhere in the connection of the spirit, spiritual and physical, uh, we have what we call a veil placed over our minds so that we have a limited recall of facts and specific events of the pre-mortal world. But the Lord can allow any portion of that previous experience to be revealed, as it were, to the physical mind, either emotionally, factually, or even both. Now, this is why you feel enlightened when learning the gospel. Given that you have inputs from the sensory, from the emotional, and spiritual parts of the brain, and that our brain uses significant filtering to create an up-to-date reality, you can see just how personal your reality or my reality can become. There are some important ideas now that spawn from this complex interrelationship of inputs to construct reality. Let's start with the emotional state. Anyone who has experienced mental illness in any real form knows how easy it is for the brain to alter our beliefs based on our emotional and mental state. Because our reality is shaped and filtered by our emotions and brain chemistry as one part of the three major inputs, what we perceive to be real one week might not be perceived to be real the next. Yet nothing has changed but our emotional state of mind. The events, the reasons why we believed in the first place, the emotions we felt that led us to believe, the pre-mortal life experience, the evidence we had that confirmed our belief has not changed. What changes is the filter by which we view the past evidence of reality. Because anxiety and depression create such deep negative emotional filters, and because those filters tend to be darkened as to the positive experiences, our reality tends to be negative, darkened, and doubtful. All kinds of questions begin to arise when we start filtering our reality through these mental illness lenses. Now, the first thing that tends to happen is that light and darkness cannot coexist, and so our reality begins to question what we once saw in the light, because we can't seem to feel or understand it as we once did. It is interesting to note that revelation works both ways, meaning that if our minds are darkened, the revelation we clearly saw as truth can come into question. Once those influences are altered or darkened, our spiritual memories appear to fade, and that creates doubt. 
Now, doubt is simply the mind looking for that revelation and not able to experience it because of the overwhelming feelings of despair, darkness, and doubt that are brought about by mental illness. Then what was once very much our reality is no longer seen in the same way because our reality has shifted. Of course, mental illness is the cause of the shift, and the cause of the mental illness obviously can be very personal. What is most important to understand about mental illness and the shift of reality is that nothing has changed except for the emotional filter. The truths you once knew to be true still exist. The experience that shaped your testimony are still retained. Feelings, thoughts, ideas, and emotional context recorded when you felt your testimony are all the same. Your premortal experiences have not been erased. The only thing that has changed is the emotional context in which you view the reality. Now, over time, and because I've been able to see both sides of the mental illness coin, I've come to understand something very important about memory. The brain stores memory with a recording of the emotional filter, and a recall of the memory requires us to be within a particular set of emotional parameters to remember. For instance, when we are happy, we tend to recall happy moments. When we are sad, we tend to recall difficult and sad moments. When someone else is sad, and we have compassion for them. Our body recalls our own difficult moments and sadness. When we are spiritual, we tend to recall spiritual moments. Emotional context is critical for memory. Now, I have very little memory of my previous decades of life because of this issue. I no longer have the extreme highs and lows that I used to feel. And because of that, I am unable to recall most of my life. Now, as a side note to this, and this is also something interesting about the brain, I can very easily remember facts from those time frames and figures and pictures, but these don't evoke any emotional context. Any emotional context. So somewhere in my brain, I have a dual location for memory, in, in that the facts and figures are recorded outside of the emotional context so that I can recall them. Now, understanding that you see reality through an emo emotional lens is one of the most important things you can understand about mental illness. Having serious depression, Anxiety and mania does affect your spiritual memory and your ability to recall and see truth and construct a reality based on what you already know. It will feel very much as if you are losing or have lost your testimony or have lost your faith or even losing the love you once felt for people. You actually have not lost any of it. And when you return to a more normal emotional state, those things return to your reality. The hard part of it all is that depression or anxiety is your reality. When those chemistries shift in the mind, and it is very difficult to step outside that reality and see the illness is the problem. So what do you do when depression and anxiety strike and you lose that reality for a time? How do you cope with what feels like a loss of testimony, relationships, happiness, sometimes life in general? There is no easy answer to a shift of reality. If there were, then we would have already discovered it. Well, you should do all those things I actually have discussed regularly. Continuing to go to church, read scriptures, listen to conference, pray honestly, obtain help through prayer, priesthood blessings, and available medical treatments. We should do what we can to invite those memories to return through increasing our emotional awareness and context. Now, even if that spirit of that context may only be a dim lighthouse in a raging sea that only appears for a time and then disappears. 
the one thing that has helped me to understand, the one thing that has helped me is to understand how my brain works and how emotion plays such a critical role in forming my reality. I know that when I am depressed, my reality is not likely to be true reality, but one altered by my physical brain chemistry. While that doesn't stop the depression or the shift of reality, it does help me cope with the difficulties associated with it. I don't experience, again, deep depression and anxiety as I once did. The Lord has, for whatever reason in my life, been merciful to me, and I deal with only ongoing moderate to mild depression due to long-term pain cycles from autoimmune diseases. When I suffer, suffered immensely, not too terribly long ago from bipolar, I had to turn to the Lord regularly for priesthood blessings to relieve the symptoms and that emotional context. I had to rest. I had to make sure that I wasn't taxing my body to the extreme. Now, I knew that I would not be able to participate normally or as someone else would in the gospel. And I knew that the Lord would accept my sacrifice, no matter how small that might be. The one thing that I did learn very clearly was that when the Lord needed me or perhaps wanted me to teach a class or to lead a group, he gave me what I needed to accomplish the task, that additional strength through grace. Now, the symptoms would abate for long enough for me to accomplish the work, and then in time, alter the altered reality, of course, returns. But the Lord has great compassion for those whose realities are altered by mental illness. He knows the difficulty of trying to be obedient, cheerful, and serving in the gospel when our reality has been altered to a more depressed and anxious state of mind where the light of truth has greater difficulty penetrating the dark. What I do know is that we have been given a weakness, and in time, all will be made up, and made right through that grace. So to think that you will have less of a testimony at the end of this life because of your illness is simply not correct. The Lord will make up that difference found in the weakness, and your weakness will, as it says, become a great strength. There are some things I really do know. You and I have a firm knowledge and testimony of the Savior already implanted into our spiritual minds because of our experiences with Him. We truly know of God the Father, the Savior, the Holy Ghost, the plan of salvation, and every principle of the gospel because we were taught them abundantly and experienced them for eons before this life. We are mature spiritual beings with a solid understanding of truth, and we need only to seek it to be real to us. That grace can provide what we need when we need it and that the Lord is mindful of those who suffer this, call it a mind-altering emotional disability. Now may the Lord bless you in your journey through this life, and until next week, do your part so that the Lord can do His. Talk to you later.